Hey, everybody, and thanks for being here today. This is a bonus podcast episode, and we're going to start with a big shout out to Brian and Jeff from All In, the Addicted Gamblers podcast for inspiring all of us to join the gambling podcast community. Big thanks from me. This is Tara. Thanks, Brian and Jeff. This is Danielle. Thanks, Brian and Jeff. Um, because, Brian, you, you saw something in Danielle and I, you gave us an opportunity to, um, you know, do a trial run on, on your all-in all podcast that um, you felt that we should go off on our own. So thank you so much for inspiring us and seeing something that we didn't see in ourselves. So thank you. And this is Christina. I um, Your podcast is one of the first I listened to. And I remember your episode where you were talking about how you'd had your microphone for for a while before you started and, and how it was part of your recovery. So that's what got me thinking along the lines of, of doing my own podcast. So for that, I am absolutely grateful. Thank you guys. Hi everyone. My name is Danielle and I'm from gambling. Got the girls lucky to be on here tonight. Hi, this is Tiffany K. I'm from gambling. Got the girls. I'm excited to have this discussion with you guys. This is Tara from the ambitious addicts podcast. I too am excited to be here tonight. Hey, I'm Christina with the Broke Girl Society podcast, and um, I'm really excited to talk about this with everybody. So I guess I'll go ahead and start it. How old was everybody when they started gambling? We'll just start with Danielle and we'll just go around. Awesome. Thanks, Christina. So like I said, my name's Danielle. I started gambling, I would say normal gambling, social gambling when I was 21. I would go spend 40 bucks, leave. It didn't matter if I was there for five minutes or six hours. I didn't care. And then I crossed that invisible line at the age of 27. And that was in December of 2015. And once I crossed that invisible line, I couldn't stop. So from 27 to 30 was my gambling uh, time frame. And it will be three years on July 31st that I am gamble free. How about you, Tiff? All right. Uh, well, Tiffany K, uh, compulsive gambler. My last bet date was 9 2019. So I'm about to hit two years in a couple of months. Um, my gambling started at 21, actually. Um, my parents actually took me to Atlantic City as a celebratory um, uh, event for my, my 21st birthday. So, um, my, ga- my parents were always like gamblers. They always went to Atlantic City. So they felt like, oh, this would be like a really nice like family outing for me to, you know, break, uh, do the whole 20, for 21st uh, birthday with them. So um, I actually played a few slot machines. And on the, on the way out, I actually won for $1,100. So at age 21, to win that much money was exciting. And that's how it all started for me. Um, how about you, Tara? Um. Tara, compulsive gambler. Date of my last bet was July 30th of 2016. I started gambling really young. Um, When I talk, you know, wagering within the household or on behalf of somebody in the household. So my grandpa took me to the VFW when he played poker with his war buddies and taught me how to play and let me in on the games. Uh, And we would play card games for money or potato chips or whatever, uh, from a really, really young age, official gambling in a legal format, not, not stuff that was happening with my family. I would say right away at 18, that's the eligibility date 
here in Minnesota to gamble. And, uh, I was not my birthday, but within that first couple of weeks, the friends and I were going to the casino. Uh, you could be out as late as you wanted because they're open 24 seven. So I definitely did it when I was 18 and, uh, yeah, I already said I, I quit <clears throat> July 30th of 2016. So long, long relationship with gambling. I think crossing the line and crossing back multiple times through that experience, but it was uncontrolled from the beginning. How about you, Christina? Um, I think I'm the late bloomer here. I started gambling, um, at 28 and I had just gone through a divorce and all my friends were still married and they were, had young kids at home. And so I was finding myself, you know, alone and not much to do. So, um, I started going to the casino and I think, you know, there was about a 15 year career with that. Um, it wasn't all compulsively for 15 years. Um, it just gradually got worse and probably the last six to seven being compulsively and detrimentally to me. So I actually, um, last bet was March 6, 2021. So I am just over four months, um, bet free. So, um, that's really, that's really the gist of my story. <laughs> I'm, I'm working recovery really hard in this podcast. My podcast, the broke girl society is just a, a big part of my recovery at this point. So yeah, that's me. So I think I had, did I have the longest span or did you Tara? Oh, I think I did. Given I, you know, I first entered casinos when I was 18 and I left, I, I quit when I was 40. So a little over 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like you kind of a dance, you know, it mm -hmm. maybe wasn't a problem, but there were, there were times even in my, my early twenties where I spent way more than I should have, you know, brought a certain amount and ended up cash machine or, mm -hmm. or what have you to get more. Cause I wanted the chance, the chance oh, to yeah. win. Yeah. Didn't we all. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the things that I love about this conversation. Christina's idea to bring us together for this round table type discussion is there is both similarities and differences in our stories. And, uh, I think early in recovery, we often focus on the differences and, uh, hopefully all of us together can help people see similarity in at least one of our stories. I have a question yeah. for you guys. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. I have a question for you guys. Are you, were you primarily in the casino or were you on your phone? I asked that because I was primarily on my phone. I actually hated the casino. I hated the lights and the sounds. I was very overstimulated, very anxious. Once I became compulsive, prior to that, I'd go and play poker tournaments, you know, but once I became compulsive, I was very isolated. And I didn't want anyone to know what I was doing. I didn't ever want to go to the casino by myself. And because I just wanted to escape everything going on in my life, I turned to my phone, which was difficult because it was always by my side, including in the middle of the night. If I would wake up, it was right there. So have you guys, were you guys mostly in person or on your phones? Have you talked about that? Um, I, I was in person. Um, I, yeah, in person, we, uh, online gambling isn't legal here in my state. Um, so, so it's not, I mean, I'm sure it is an option somewhere, but I honestly never even knew about online gambling, um, until I started the recovery groups and things like that. So I didn't even know that that was an option. Thank goodness that I didn't know that was an option until I started recovery. But, um, 
Yeah, mine was mine was definitely slots. And it's funny you say you didn't like to go alone because that's exactly what I liked to to do. Especially there at the end, I didn't want to take anybody because I didn't want anybody to um, make me leave. So, yeah, my story. I'm going to add to that because I I totally am with you, uh, Christina, on that thing. Because for me, going to the casino was like my me time. Like I felt like the sense of entitlement. Like I earned this. I have the right to do this because in my situation, I don't have I don't have a spouse. I don't have like children. So really, I'm not affecting anyone. So why not? You know what I mean? So it was kind of like, it was a way for me to like do the whole big shotism because I'm a very reserved person. So going to the casino and just kind of just gambling like recklessly was like an alter ego for me. Cause I'm not like that in real life. Like I'm like a nerd. I'm like a sciencey nerd, but like as, as a compulsive gambler, it was like, I was a big shot, you know, I, um, I just knew how to like read the machines and when, when things were hot. And then, you know, I would, I would kind of like bond with not really bond, but I would see like regulars and I felt like I was with my people, you know what I'm saying? Cause I just saw the same people. So I felt like in a weird way, they were family for me. And I just love that. I just love like just doing my own thing. I'm kind of like that anyway, just, you know, going on my own, but like in the casino, it doesn't, it's not weird. Like going to the movies is weird. Going out to dinner is weird. But like going to the casino, it's like no one cares. So like I, I love that. I loved. I was not a social gambler. So, and I'd say um, interesting that I'm going last. It was a, a little bit of both for me. But my engaging on the phone was not a betting action. It was a research, a reading, a testing, a theory, <laughs> thinking I knew there was some kind of a system. So. I would practice like counting blackjack, counting, you know, counting cards on a blackjack for no money app. I could lose hours in a game like Candy Crush or something. And I might've paid the extra to get more lives so that I could keep playing. We're not talking about a lot of monetary investment, but we are talking about a compulsive behavior. Like, Ooh, I want to keep playing. I can't wait the 24 hours to get five lives. So I'm just going to buy a bunch of lives or whatever. That was a compulsive behavior that I can see now definitely connected to the gambling. And so there were these peaks and valleys of if I was getting in-person time and I played kind of everything, um, if I was getting in-person time, I didn't really pick the phone up much, but if I wasn't, there was some need to escape within me that would then go into the phone. And for me, it was either like researching a gambling method or stats or fake poker hands or fake blackjack hands to test my methodology of my <laughs> delusional thinking. <laughs> now that I, I giggle about it now, because it just seems so ridiculous how much, how many hours I spent when I wasn't gambling, thinking about gambling and yeah, reading about, about books. You know what I would do also, and I was trying, I was trying to like kind of game the system. So I, I use comp cards with the slot machine. So what I would try to do is like flip slot dollars. So I would put the, I would put the uh, comp card in, just play off their money. Right. And hope that I would hit off their money and not use my own. So I would rationalize like, Oh, I didn't really like use my money because I didn't physically take it out and put it in the machine. I was, it was, it was casino money. So if I went off casino money, it was just like, oh, cool. I didn't actually spend anything, but it was just like me rationalizing this whole concept. And I just thought like, 
if I could get this down, <laughs> this could be my side hustle. I could like just flip casino dollars and make money as like a, like a side hustle or a second job. I was delusional because a lot of times I didn't work. Like sometimes rare, rare times it worked, but most of the time I would just blow through account dollars and just actually put my, my money in because it would go so quickly. I didn't want to leave the casino after being there for like an hour. It's like, I came all this way. So I wanted to stay and, you know, continue gambling. It's and, funny that, that you say it like that, but um, let's talk about, let's talk about how we justify things as a gig. Honestly, like a, a lot of people, um, you know, my biggest thing when I was trying to start my recovery was just finding somebody who understood because the things that we tell ourselves um, while we're gambling, justifying the money, justifying just the actions that we took to, uh, you know, like transferring or sit, like sitting at the ATM waiting for midnight to turn so I could pull more money off. You know, just those crazy things that we try and rationalize that somebody who doesn't struggle with this addiction or hasn't struggled with this addiction, just, they just think we're, we're nuts, you know? Um, <laughs> they're like, who does that? Yeah. They're, they're like that. that what I used to think before sense. I became an addict, I used to think these people were crazy for doing these things. And then I did them myself. Yep. I know for me, I would rationalize spending an entire paycheck, um, knowing that I had savings mm-hmm. and I used to think like, okay, well, if I spent this, but I really only need this for my bills and I have all this extra money, that extra money disappeared by the time I stopped gambling. I had, we had nothing. I mean, I mean, zero. I actually think one of the accounts was negative. Um, and I used to rationalize getting those payday loans. Uh, I don't, or I took a 401, a loan off my 403B from work and I would sit up at night doing the math in my head, knowing how much I made at work every two weeks and that I could afford taking four different loans. And I used to tell, I told myself after the first one, that's it, I'm done. And then I took three more. Because I paid off the credit card and then I maxed it out again. And then I maxed another one out. And it it was just completely ridiculousness. But I used to think that I could figure out the math because I am a math person. I'm a nurse in my profession. So I thought like, okay, I work hard for my money and I can, I can afford this. Um, and in reality, I couldn't. But that was the lies that I would tell myself. And I used to say I was not a good liar. I used to not be able to lie to someone's face. If my mom asked me if I liked the food that she made, I'd be like, yeah. And then they'd be like, do you want to try it again? No. And then she knew that I was lying. But damn, was I a good liar when I was gambling. So my husband, so my family, straight to my father's face, who is my idol. My father and I are super, super close. Tiff knows that, you know lying to these people's faces and justifying it like no problem it's all good like that's insanity did you guys also do that kind of stuff oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah I could probably put all you guys to shame oh yeah (laughs) I didn't even know who I was by the time I started just the beginning of this year and I tell people my my story you know six months ago well seven now seven months ago when I decided that I had I had to make this choice I I was, I was dying inside literally. And I was thinking about, you know, dying, you know, literally also, but, um, but I was so alone. I was so alone and I didn't think I could talk to anybody. 
Cause I didn't, you know, how, how can I justify the things that I've done or how can I, you know, nobody would, would understand. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, how can I, I justify everything I did just, just to chase, just to stay in this cycle. So it was just, yeah, that's why I talk about how we rationalize and justify the things that we'd say do. Yeah. I, um, for me on the justification thing, I justified it in so many different ways. Oh, I, I make a good living. It'll be fine. I'm going to win, you know, eventually it's going to hit, I'm going to hit and I'm going to be able to fix all the devastation, you know, payday loans, not just a 401k loan, but 401k cash out, um, multiple throughout my gambling career, like every 401k, every time at some point came out and I used it to gamble. Um, I justified moving money from my son's savings account to my savings account. Cause I knew I was going to pay him back on my next payday. Oh, that like an addicted person does that. Right. And, um, I justified a whole lot of things that I never thought I would justify. And yeah, the lying and the biggest lie I told, and Christina and I talk about this a lot is that I was fine. You know, I had this mask of like, I'm a girl who is professional and high achieving and super independent and doesn't need anybody. And all that was just BS. And I needed people and I was yearning for connection and I was yearning for true connection, not false intimacy with other human beings. And I was trying to manufacture that. In addition to the escape, I was trying to manufacture that Tiffany, like you said, like my people at the casino, right? They spoke the same language as me. They had the same silly behaviors. You know, we all had our little quirks of how we might interact with a slot machine or a dealer or table talk or whatever, depending on the game I was playing. But there were these routines. So I would either go to the casino to be social and I would choose a certain game that allowed me to do that or to escape. And I would choose a certain game that allowed me to do that. And I would justify it in a, in a similar way. Like this is my time. Like this is for me, like no one else, you know, no one else is being harmed. Well, that there were plenty of people being harmed by my lack of presence in relationship with them, employer, family, what have you. I know I justified my gambling because, you know, being compulsive with gambling, I was also compulsive with work. So I use work as like a, a, a means of funding my gambling. So I didn't, I never had to take out loans or anything like that, but I liked I just purposely like worked to a fund my gambling, but also kind of give me an alibi as to where I was. So like I would work late and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I would, I would say I was working late and really be at the casino. That was kind of like my alibi because I always was like a person who worked a lot because, um, you know, I didn't really have like, uh, good connections with family and friends when I was gambling. So like people like always knew I was like a worker. So like for me to say, oh, I'm working extra hours, like no one would bat an eyelash about that. But in me- and meanwhile, I would be like at the casino, like gambling. And then I would just like lie and say, oh, I was at work. So that's, that's how I would justify, you know, losing so much money because it's like, oh, I'll just work overtime. It's fine. Whatever. And I work so hard. I deserve a break. <laughs> Let off <Exactly>. steam. <laughs> yeah. I can relate to the, the working so much and putting a lot of effort into work too. I mean, there were Sometimes it was work stress and overwhelm. That was one of, made me think I deserved time gambling. And I wasn't like exactly efficient at work. It was just the means to like make extra money. If anything, I became less efficient. It was more like, 
at, at any means necessary. I, I need to like work extra hours and like kind of chinch and cheat here and there to stretch my time. So it, I, it didn't, I didn't necessarily like work more. I just, I pretended to work more mm-hmm. too. It wasn't like, I wasn't truly working like productively. It was just, hey, I'm kind of stealing time here, but I have to make it look like I'm working. Because your mind wasn't on work. It was on gambling. You know, okay, so we may not have been on the casino app or at the casino every day, but our minds were on it all the time. Or on the money. Or the planning or, yeah. Or how am I going to pay this or robbing Peter? It kills your ambition. Yes. Yeah. Ambition and efficiency. It It kills your ambition to do anything. 20 questions. 20 questions. (laughs) That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. for sure. 20 questions. But here's another thing that's kind of come up with all of us um, that I see is a lot of people have a misconception of gambling addicts, don't they? They think that gambling addicts are degenerate, moralists. Um, But what they don't really know is that gambling addicts, I would say as a whole, are extremely intelligent, Um, you know, usually, you know, um, professional and, you know, we have good jobs. And I would say as a whole, if you kind of looked at compulsive gamblers, men and women, um, they are a, a working professional group. And I think I don't understand where the misconception is coming from, because even if you think about GA and when GA started, it was the working class man, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of not sure where the misconception is. Did you have a misconception originally prior to coming into um, recovery of what the compulsive gambler looked like? No, knowing now who we are, did you have an opposite? I never thought even thought process? about it. Okay. I thought I thought about I never the even thought about it because. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't think I didn't even know compulsive gamblers existed before I before I acknowledged that I was an addict and came into the recovery, tried to find recovery and, and discovered that compulsive gambling is an addiction. I didn't even know. I'd never come across stories or anything like that. I, I know that I'm naive, especially spending 15 years in it, but I never once came across a gambling addict. I never once talked to a gambling addict and, and heard their story and and. Well, not that you know of, not that you know of, not that I know of. That's right. That's that's exactly right. (laughs) We're good at lying. Yeah, we're We're great. Very well. Yeah. We're good at keeping secrets. Yes. I actually had, I had the misconception originally when I was going to my first meeting that I was going to find these degenerate people and they are not smart and they're not hardworking and I'm not going to relate to them. And I, I laugh at it now because my father's in the program. Now, he doesn't actively go to meetings anymore, but he was active for meetings for 25 years. He's my idol. He's the most hardworking man I've ever met in my life. So I knew he was a compulsive gambler, but yet I still had this thought of what compulsive gamblers were. And then when I entered the meeting and found out my sponsor was also in the health field, who became my sponsor. I waited 30 days and then asked her, it felt like I was asking someone to prom or something like that, (laughs) asking her to be my sponsor. But I just felt immediately at home and at peace and understanding that everyone in these rooms is just like you and me. We're not any different. Yes, we may have different stories, but the kinds of people that we are, the kinds of things that we did 
are not because we're bad people. It's because we have an addiction that made us do these things, but not because we're bad people. We see the good in all these people being in recovery now. I had a thought. I, did I just cut them off? I'm sorry. Um, I don't. I don't want to lose it. Though. I'm just going to like blurt it out. But like the whole degenerate gambler thing, I think because gambling has evolved into something like more pop culture than it used to be, I think we're still stuck in that old image of what gamblers used to be. They used to be like degenerate, like no good thugs, and now that with like the evolution of gambling being so acceptable and so sociable that people have not evolved the image of what gamblers are now. So it's like, there's this this disconnect between what used to be and what is now. That's what I think. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, where did that image come from? Right. Is that a media thing? Is that what we were getting in movies? Like, where did that, where did that come from? I'm not sure. I, uh, I did know, um, it's a weird thing, but there was this couple that I worked with in a very professional setting. We didn't work together, same department, same team, but we worked in the same organization and we were on smoke breaks together. (laughs) And I, we would talk about going to the casino and I had run into them a couple of times at the casino. So there were a group of us that were hanging out at a picnic table one day. And one of them said, yeah, I, you know, I think I go too much. I started going to these these meetings. And I sometimes go to those meetings and then I, some, and then I go back to the casino and yeah, there's these groups. So I kind of knew in the back of my head that there was a 12 step program for mm-hmm. gambling. And I also knew a lot of people who had recovered through other 12 step programs having success. So when I kind of, when I finally came to the conclusion that I needed help and was willing to get help, um, I knew what to search for. Um, so that's, Um, but I didn't have that degenerate viewpoint because the people that I was conversing with about this were high, you know, I mean, these are people with director and VP level titles in a fortune 50 organization. So I I didn't have that perception necessarily that gamblers were degenerate, but I could see, I could see how that may have been it. I don't know. And I totally had a crush on Matt Damon and round ears. So there was that. I didn't think he was a degenerate. <laughs> he was an aspiring lawyer, right? Isn't that what he was trying right. to do? Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like, I feel like Hollywood romanticizes it too. Totally. Like, it's like, so like, oh, you're so badass. You're such a, we're just thinking I don't about know, the James Bond that. movie, the casino yeah. movie, Casino Royale. Yeah, Royale. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. They make it look so sexy or, um, what is that scene? There's a scene in this, it's an old, old Angelina Jolene, Antonio Banderas movie. And there's a poker game going and she's like signaling around oh. the room. Oh. <laughs> totally sidetracking our conversation, but that scene makes it look so hot and sexy. And like a thing that you could even, I don't know, like jive with your partner on, although they were being criminal. I can't remember the name of that movie. I know the movie. Oh, uh, original sin. Ah, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got well, it before I did. I was just Googling it. <laughs> I think that's why it's so important that we do these podcasts and that we talk about this because, you know, there are, there are so many different, um, ideas of what a compulsive gambler, is, you know, um, and there's so many different misconceptions on recovery. 
for compulsive gambling. Um, they think that necessarily GA is the only way and it's not, you know, I, I deal a lot with women who don't want to do GA because they don't feel comfortable or, or, you know, for whatever reason, and we all know the list, but, um, you know, and so they think it's the only way that they can, they can get the help that they need. And because I'm not any, just one way I do a bunch of different things. How do you, how do you do it, Danielle? How do you, how did you work your recovery? That's a good question. So, um, actually up until last March, all I did was GA meetings. Um, I was going to three a week and then I had major surgery and was out of commission for two weeks. I think I was in the ICU for a few days and then onto the floor. So I was out of meetings for at least two weeks and then COVID hit. So I was recovering from lung surgery with COVID hitting. I didn't have COVID, but COVID started. And my sponsor told me about Tiffany, who wanted to develop some kind of women's um, meeting. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I called her and we we talked for like an hour and a half that night on the phone. It turns out we had met once or twice at our inner group. And then um, she got me into our WhatsApp group that we have. And I added that to my recovery. We started doing podcasts on that. And then Tiff and I broke out on our own and started doing the gambling, got the girls podcast. So I went from just GA to GA WhatsApp podcasts. I had never heard of a podcast before I entered the WhatsApp group. And now I laugh because like I listen to them and I participate in them. I had no idea. So I actually credit COVID and my surgery and my sponsor for connecting me with Tiffany in, in accelerating my recovery because I'm sorry, I can't do phone meetings. I just can't do it. I cannot call in. I cannot focus. I need to see someone on a screen or see someone in person, but the phone just doesn't help me. I find it pointless. So why waste my time? Because guess what? I'm probably on my phone playing a game or something like that. Like, I, d- I don't want to sound mean, but that's just, I can't focus. So I needed other modes of recovery. And actually, Tiff and I did a podcast about different modalities of recovery. So that's how I did it. How about you? Yeah. How about you, Tiff? Oh, yeah. Just to piggyback off what uh, Danielle was saying. Uh, yeah, I think COVID was definitely a game changer in terms of my recovery because I was very much Mrs. GA too. I I was like so like pro GA. If you don't do GA, like you're not really working recovery. And then um, you know, when when COVID hit, um, you know, in my honest opinion, I felt like that organization dropped the ball. I'm just gonna say that because there were there was no contingency plan. I felt like there were other programs that um, had something going virtually to continue with meetings because meetings are our lifeline. So I felt like, I felt like our 12-step program like took forever to approve Zoom meetings um, in order for people to like have recovery. And it, it was very disappointing to me really because, <clears throat> you know, COVID happened in March and, and the, the, the virtual meetings didn't get approved to November. That's way too long for people to wait and and try to get to some type of recovery. So um, I credit COVID with forcing me to look to other options like podcasts, like Reddit. You know, I didn't even know what I heard about Reddit, but I didn't know there were like forums like talking about compulsive gambling. And there's like a lot of young people on Reddit, like 
teenagers in Europe, like because you know they they gamble a lot younger overseas, and it was just eye opening. Um, and then you know, reading about like you know the books about uh, compulsive gambling, there are so many tools to like beating this thing, and my eyes were open. So I, I I'm very I'm actually pretty thankful for COVID because I have options now. I'm not like I'm not pigeonholed into like one particular um, recovery tool. I can use multiple ones depending on like where I am or like how I'm feeling. If I want to like be around people, I go to a physical meeting. If I, you know, if I'm tied up and I, I'm busy, but I still want to like listen in on a meeting, I have that option too. So I just, I just, I'm actually pretty thankful for COVID. So that's how I'm working my recovery. Yeah. I'm, I've got some gratitude for COVID too. If it wasn't for COVID, I probably wouldn't have found Clubhouse, which is an audio only social media app. And I'm, um, I'm finding ways of connecting to recovery that I never imagined, right? So I'm connecting globally with people all across the world and we're talking all recovery, all pathways, which has opened my eyes to, um, I, I guess, just this global perspective on all the challenges related to recovery from all the things. And that that if if we all align with our central mission, which seems to be... <laughs> If we talk 12-step recovery, regardless of the program, there's so many of them um, for so many different addictions. But the the central tenant is to reach the person who still suffers. And it seems as if, you know, rules and policy sometimes get in the way of that central mission. Um, And so I I can relate to what you guys are saying about COVID expanding your recovery. Cause that's what happened for my recovery with COVID too. And I've learned, you know, methods of, of other nations and how they treat addicts and how they treat recovery and, um, their approaches and the different types of gambling all over the world and the different language that is used across the globe as well, when it comes to how we place bets, um, and policy and, and legislation now, you know, having some visibility on a global scale to what happened in Europe and when it comes to sports betting and here it comes, it's coming to the United States and what can we learn, you know, with the, all the advertising and now it's starting to emerge here and they're petitioning against it and having marches against sports betting advertising. And here we're just starting to allow it. Um, yeah. On a more national scale. So it's, uh, it's been really interesting. Um, how COVID impacted both my recovery and my awareness. Yeah, I think for me, I started um, with DA. Um, well, I first started digging through like the, the social media groups and somehow I, I came across gamblersinrecovery.com and I jumped on um, a meeting and I ended up in one that was like in Australia. And I met a guy on there, like an older gentleman that was like 20 years plus in recovery. I mean, I like crashed the meeting. I didn't know anything. I didn't, I wasn't raised around addiction. So I, I, I seriously had no clue. And so he walked me through the whole step and just talking to him, it gave me the courage to go to my first GA meeting. And I did, and I'm thankful. Those are my people. Um, and then I, so right now, you know, I'm four, four and a half months in, um, I attend three meetings a week. I work the 12 steps with my sponsor and I see a therapist bi-weekly. So I, I like dove like head in, but I started kind of posting some things on social media, you know, just some encouragement and things like that, just because it was just things I would come across that would inspire me and kind of keep me going on those hard days. And it was through that I met Tara. And so 
that's kind of like kind of our connection is like I met her through that. She asked me to be on her podcast and it's just been magic ever since. It's and a I huge just, part of my recovery. So I'm I'm my my like affiliation sentences are going off. So I feel the need to say none of us represent uh Gamblers Anonymous, nor are we affiliated with Gamblers Anonymous. Um, and want to make that distinction that the views that we express here are the opinions of our individual bodies and not representative of any of the recovery methodologies we talk about today, but just our personal experience. Wonderful point. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Important. Important. It's hard, um, not, it's hard to talk about gambling recovery without talking about GA. I mean, it's just the core, the core of it all. So it's hard for anybody really not to bring it in at some point, some point yeah. in recovery. So thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. And there's other 12 step programs too, uh, that we've all kind of tested out. Um, as we've, we've been going, there's a couple, I'd love to see what that methodology looks like. I've never attended a smart recovery meeting. I don't know if anyone else has. Um, but I'm curious about all the ways now, um, because I'm, was the, is the right word agnostic? Like I'm methodology agnostic, like whatever works for you. And I know Brian from all in the addicted gamblers podcast, like he recovered with his podcast. That was his method this time around and it's yeah. working for him. Five years. Yeah. It's five years. I think six now. I think this is the sixth year. That's awesome. I was just going to ask you guys. So how, how do you, what are some challenges you have as a woman in recovery? Do you, do you experience? I'll go first. Um, uh, this is Tara. <laughs> now I'm speaking like I'm in clubhouse <laughs> when I'm done talking, I'll say I'm Tara and I'm done speaking. Um, I would say one of the bigger challenges is talking about some of the, um, some of the things that were going on in personal relationships with a person of the opposite sex and not wanting or feeling safe to discuss that. Of course, feeling like I'm getting hit on, um, has happened a couple of times and also just that sense of belonging. Uh, before we started recording, I think I shared my very first meeting. It was, I walked into a room full of three men and I'm so fortunate that my very next meeting was kind of a 50, 50 representation. And there were women and, and women, my age in that room, um, which, got me very quickly over feeling like I didn't belong. Um, but that, that sense of not belonging. And also I think the approach a little bit that, you know, we're talking about a program of recovery that was initiated by men mostly in a time that society had views of what women should or shouldn't do. And I, I think just rooted in that as, um, foundations, you know, that, that there is some inherent, how to put it like, like it's tailored towards maybe the way men learn. I don't know if that's true or if that's just my opinion, but I think about like this conversation, this is recovery to me, like being able to talk to other women in recovery about what it's like and when it's not and having circular back and forth conversation, like no crosstalk, 
no crosstalk? Does that work for us women? I don't know. Like I kind of <laughs> want to feedback and be like, yeah, me too. Oh, what about you? And um, so that no crosstalk rule was uh, is hard for me. And I don't know if that's a female nature thing. I feel like it might be, but anyway, so I would say those are some of the challenges. And then also the maternal guilt, Christina, you brought this up earlier and I know I'm the mama in the room. Um, that mom guilt, man, it's, I, it, it's, um, talking about that in a, in a multi-gendered room, uh, uncomfortable for me. So that's what I've got on that one. I think my biggest struggle, um, in, in like my GA meetings, um, when I first went, it was just men. It was three men uh, when I first started going. And then um, a few women started coming, but it's still mostly men. So like my biggest struggle right now, and I'll just be honest, is, is my husband and in my recovery. So it's, it's hard for me to talk about that relationship in front of men, like, because they're not going to understand it. They're not going to understand the dynamic of it. So even, even in my, my Zoom meetings, because I do two additional Zoom meetings, um, it's just, it's just not the same. It's like men don't have the, that same, um, a majority of men, not all men, but a majority of men don't have that same kind of, um, empathy or understanding, uh, towards that struggle because we, as women, we're such caretakers. And a lot of times we're, we're taking care of everybody else and we're, we're taking care of everybody else's needs that we neglect our own. And I think that's probably a common trait among most of us female gamblers is that we, we've taken care of everybody else in our lives and neglected ourselves. And so it's, it's kind of hard to kind of talk to a man like that too. Like, you know, they, they don't kind of see that they see something completely different and that's okay. I mean, it is, but yeah, I would definitely say connecting with other women has been the biggest heal talking to other women and just knowing that I'm not alone, just knowing I'm not alone. And let me just say this, whenever I was first trying to start recovery, the only thing that I really wanted to hear from somebody was just, I understand it's going to be okay. I understand not go to meetings, go to meetings. They work, go to meetings. You know, it's just like, I know what I need to do. I just need somebody to understand how I'm feeling, how scared I am. And so you don't really get that from a male dominated. I was just going to say, so, oh, Daniel, you, go, you can go ahead too. No, go ahead. Okay. You sure? Okay. Yeah. I feel like I'm bogarting like, between. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's why, that's why I was like interested in the women's preferred meeting. So there is a, there is one women's preferred meeting in our state of New Jersey in Danielle and I's state of New Jersey, um, where I just, I had that feeling of like, you know, in, in other rooms, I just lacked confidence. I, this was early on in recovery for me where I just, I felt like I couldn't share. Or I would stutter. or I would just actually just stopped talking and I just didn't know what to say like I was really bad at talking and giving therapy but then I went to this this women's meeting in New Jersey and I just it just felt like it just felt like home I don't even know how to describe it because I just felt like oh I I feel like uh, representation matters you know and I just felt like I could openly share how I was truly feeling and like have the women like kind of understand you know what I mean and it's just it was freeing it was very freeing um, and I took that, like, it helped build my confidence to like go to other meetings, like other co-ed meetings, because I'm not like the type of person that's just going to do like women's only or women's preferred meeting. I don't want to ever like, um, I never want to like limit myself in that way. So like, I just wanted to build my confidence in the women's preferred meeting and take it to other meetings. And it helped me a lot. Um, that's why 
I wanted to start something for the uh, like the the area the region in which Danielle and I live because I just felt like it was so powerful. The experience was so great. I felt like women in our area needed it too. And then COVID happened and we just resorted to like the Zoom meeting, which is really actually pretty great because anybody can access it. So I just love the fact that we've had this now over a year and we've been able to like, you know, have <clears throat> have this meeting and meet women from all over the country, some outside the country. It's, it's amazing. So I really appreciate a women's preferred meeting. I feel like I feel like everyone should have that as an alternative, you know, in, it, well, in addition to what you're already doing too, just to have like that extra meeting and to experience that. Yeah, we have one here and I haven't been to it yet. Uh, we do have one in here, here in Minnesota. Um, but I'm appreciating stuff like this where I get women only and in Christina's broke girl society group and in my group, it's kind of like all women <laughs> or not all women, but all people who identify with the pronouns, she, her, and hers. Um, which, yeah, there's something, there's something unique there. What about you, Danielle? Um, I think originally when I came in, I, the, my first meeting, you talked about how your first meeting was mostly guys. Um, and then it was kind of split. I, now it's more split. And actually now it's more women in my one room that I actually run. Um, but when I first came in, there was two females and one male and it was a small room and my dad. So it was basically split two and two. Um, and then the next night I went to my Thursday night meeting, which Tiff's been to a few times. And there's, I'd say 90% of the time I'm the only female in there. Um, and that can be uncomfortable, especially when I'm trying to talk about things that are going on in my life right now that are not necessarily things I feel comfortable sharing with men. Right. Um, and I, that's kind of the reason why I also wanted to have a female sponsor. And Tiff and I have talked about this um, as to the importance for, for myself, at least I can only speak for myself right now of a female sponsor, because there are things that have happened in our lives that we may just not feel comfortable speaking about with a male. Um, and then you get, a situation which I'll share. We had a, a female person in the room and she had a male sponsor and that male sponsor's significant other basically told him that he had to stop sponsoring her because she felt that there was an alternative relationship going on. And it pushed this person fully out of recovery. It pushed them away and they have never been back since. And that was very devastating because it really comes down to the significant other's trust issues and her own issues itself. Then obviously the person that was being uh, sponsored, but I know for myself, certain things, certain reasons for recovery are related to a past history of mine that is difficult for me to talk about with men. Uh, that's affected my own relationships um, including the one with my husband, it's had an impact on that relationship. And I think that being able to talk with women about something like that is just really empowering. And from my experience, a lot of women share some similar experiences. Um, actually, there's a statistic that nearly 80% of women in addiction, no matter what kind of addiction, have experienced something. 
And that to me, I've been in a room where it's just five women and every single one of us said yes. And it just brought this sense of understanding way more than what a male would understand. And it's nothing against men. There's just some things that you can just talk to females about. Yeah. I don't want to talk to men about my sexual trauma. Right. Period. Yep. Period. Or abusive relationships with men. Mm -hmm. Not even sexual in nature. I I don't want to discuss that with, I'll discuss it openly here in this forum, you know, but I'm not digging, you know, I'm not like describing in detail, uh, all my thoughts and feelings about it. I would not feel comfortable doing that with a man. And yet that's step four and five work that has to be done. Yep. I can't not do it. Those are the hardest steps in my opinion. I'm stuck on four right now. And I think Tiff knows this. I mean, we've been talking about it for a long time, but I think it's because it makes you really look at things. Mm -hmm. And that's what I escaped from for three years while gambling. So now it's like, damn it, I have to actually look at this stuff. And I mean, I actually, at one point I've had a male therapist for 10 years, except for PTSD, uh, trauma, EMDR training. And besides that, I've had a male therapist. And in the beginning, my social worker had to actually go over and talk to the therapist and tell him my story because I was too afraid to talk to him. So, and it's something like I can share it with my, my, my sponsor. She's a female. Our age difference is nearly 40 years, but it's not about age in recovery. It's about the knowledge of people in recovery. It's not about the amount of time they've had in or their age difference between you guys. It's the fact that you feel comfortable with someone. And I felt comfortable with her and that's what I needed. But you're right. I mean, I, I would not talk and I'm very close with some of the males in my group, but it's not something that I would talk to them about. Yeah. I think the other thing that just came to me when we're thinking about the, the difference between men and women in communication, and this is something I dealt with my professional life a lot. And I, I see it in recovery a little bit. Um, I don't need someone mansplaining recovery to me for lack of a better way to phrase it. Like, I don't like, I understand the steps and I understand the instructions and I understand the intent and I understand the rules of the meeting. I've had it happen where I've been pulled aside and, you know, I don't know if you knew this, like, like, I, I don't know, like the sit still look pretty, the comments about my looks, the shit that I don't need. I don't need that in my recovery room. And I can cope or deal with it because I know that the only part of that equation I can control is me. And yet, if I don't have a a woman only space to have conversation, wherever that might be, whether that's a 12 step room or something else I'm doing, I don't have a place to release and process that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I, I do need a female only setting. Um, and that used to be friends. And now I've got that in recovery community too. I think in another thing that, that, a lot of people just don't talk about because we just don't talk about it in this culture anyway, but it's, it's how our cycles affect our gambling compulsions are in our recovery. Because, you know, for me, when I first started recovery, the first 30 days was an emotional nightmare, emotional roller coaster. And then I didn't think about, you know, not only am I dealing with the withdrawals from the dopamine high, I'm also dealing with, you know, the, the hormonal issues of the, of a cycle. And so it's like, it's like a double whammy. Well, men, men that can't really empathize with that. Can they, 
Um, so that's, that's something that, you know, really isn't even talked about that much in, in the recovery community anyway, but it, it should be, I think, you know, for women, maybe it'd give them a better understanding of why certain times of the month, they're just, their compulsion is worse than other times of the month. And maybe if they had an understanding about it, and maybe if we had some science behind it, um, maybe we'll do something about that. That's really interesting. I didn't even think about cycles. I mean, but I mean, that's, it's totally hormonal, hormonally driven. I mean, that makes total sense, but I did not even think about that. So that was like a really good point. (laughs) Not something that I would have thought about either, but now I'm like thinking back to recovery or to my addiction and going like, was there a difference? Like, I know I feel different, like mentally and physically. So why not was, why wouldn't it have been a difference with an addiction? Right. I may not be able to pinpoint it right now, but it had to have some impact. And does it have an impact in our recovery as well? Does it impact our want to go to meetings or our want to participate in meetings or how open we are about listening to uh, criticism that we may not take, that we may take differently at that point than we would at other times? Yeah. When you're tired and, you know, you're run down. Or even just, just, I've, I've always been fairly even keeled, but some women aren't. I've known women that have to go on Prozac a week before because of, of how their hormones affect them. So if you can imagine just the population of female gamblers, and it's like one week, you can be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing this. Like, cause we've all had those I'm done moments every, seems like every month, right? I'm done with this. I'm not coming back. And then it's like, you know, a week or two later, you're like, your emotions are crazy. You're, uh, PMSing or whatever. And you're just like, I got to escape. I can handle this, you know, and then you just become this emotional overwhelm mess and you need to escape. Right. So Feel that way with chocolate, <laughs> 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 yeah. like chocolate or gambling. I don't know. Like I just need that. Thing. Why Something. do I need dessert this week? Oh, <laughs> next week. It'll, it'll, it'll all come together and I'll understand why I wanted some dessert every day last week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Funny. I think on the, I mean, to, I want to, I, I definitely want to say like in my experience in recovery, the men struggle just as much with the emotional upheaval that happens in withdrawal, right. And like feeling the feelings and also, you know, we've been allowed to feel this set of emotions over here. It's been societally acceptable for me to, for me to cry for me to, um, you know, I, I don't like I can cry and my brother can be mad, you know, and, and like, I wasn't allowed to be angry. So an emotion that I would want to silence or shut off then was angry. And everyone's, everyone's training in their family settings, as well as societal society's expectations of expression of emotion as well. Um, it all interplays and I, I want to be fair to the men and, and, and acknowledge like, yeah, you, we know you're dealing with this sudden onset of emotions you were avoiding as well. But I, it, I'm curious to know if they're avoiding a different set of emotions than we were avoiding. You know, it seems like, and this is just anecdotal that a lot of it is the same, um, but it just shows up differently. I think, I think in men that I'm sorry, the one, the ones that I, that I talk with, I even have men in my uh, broke girl society group yeah. and I've actually talked to them about the, the emotional difference. And like a couple of them um, were just like, I really didn't, I felt down. Like they felt down 
but they didn't really have like the ups and downs. You know, it was just more like just, just straight depression, just straight down. But I, you know, a lot of their issues were um, lack of success. They weren't as successful as they thought that they should be. And I would say that was probably in most of the men that I talk to now, that's, that's where a lot of that comes from. I mean, that, that just seems to be the consensus with, with the, the handful that I know. I was just going to um, kind of piggyback on that. I feel like, and I, I'm not a man, but I feel like their depression comes from just like a failure to be a provider maybe, because that's like males, like, you know, role in society. So like to kind of acknowledge and to accept the fact that you're powerless over essentially like your life, you cannot provide for your family. You can't provide for your spouse or your kids. You're like, you probably feel like a failure, like as a man, I'm, I'm sure that there's like that whole, um, dynamic that they're thinking in their head like I I cannot I cannot provide for my family I'm I'm worthless I imagine that's how it is I mean I'm not a man but from like the perspective of like how what a man's role is in like today's society I feel like that that would they would have feelings of like failure and I think that's a good point I also think too that when we growing up we were always taught like you said that men can get angry but they can't cry first of all i love men that cry my husband cries i think it's the best thing ever because i I can't cry like i would like to i i've been able to as i'm going through ivf like all the fertility drugs and everything they're making me a little bit more emotional at times but i from what i've understood and being in therapy for the last 15 years essentially is that men's depression comes out in anger women's depression comes out in this more the sadness Mm -hmm. and it's the way we can actually learn to express it but it's societal like it if a man's if man's gonna cry like my husband cries in a movie like i just think it's the best thing in the world i wish i could show emotions like that so for me like women cry but I, i i never allowed myself to feel emotions. And that's what I kind of ran away from any feeling of emotions at all when I was gambling. So now I come to recovery and I need to understand my emotions, which I didn't understand for my entire life. Cause I just, my brain just did what it wanted to do. And I just ran away from it. I now have to put a word to my emotions and my feelings. And sometimes I'll say, I'm just fogged out today or something like that. But in reality, there's something making me upset, but it's, it takes a lot for me to be able to say, this is the emotion that I'm feeling. And my mom's therapist, who's a 12 step therapist, she, I called her a few weeks ago and we talked about, she goes, okay, so what's the emotion? I'm like, I need you to give me actual examples of emotions. Cause I don't know how to actually describe it because I was so used to forever not feeling it that now that I feel it, it scares me a little bit. It scares me because I see the emotions in everyone else and I envy people. I envy them, but at the same time, I I don't want to feel those things. That's why I ran away for such a long time. So my brain is very mixed about the ideal of emotions. That's where my brain's at right now. Uh, I, uh, I pull out the feelings wheel with my clients. Um, when we're doing coaching sessions, we talk a lot about the connection between our emotions. And, um, I've got some clients who are thinkers who really need the guidance 
like you're talking about, right? How do I, how do I label this? Like what, I don't know this, it, it feels heavy. It feels hard. It feels cold. They can describe that and, and not put a, an emotional label to it. And it's, you know, it, it's helping recovery has helped me do the same thing, Danielle, mm-hmm. like put a label to the things that I was avoiding for so long and being able to differentiate between sad and sadness and grief. Like I didn't know the difference. A lot of my story is a lot of death and not knowing how to cope with death or even talk about the fact that I was sad and mad and lonely and, and, and all at the same time. Um, and now I, you know, now five years in, I'm like, okay, I kind of, I think I understand my feelings wheel and like how to label these things, but it takes time. It does take time. I wasn't taught, I, I didn't have healthy modeling of how to cope uh, with emotions. I mean, my parents were the kind of people who had a bad day, have a beer, had a bad week, have a beer, stressed out, have a drink. You know, it's like, so the, the modeling I was given was, was not, uh, was to not cope, to not feel, to numb out. And so I, like you, just numbed all of them or I manufactured excitement. I was chasing a thrill. Yeah. And I'm just going to say there's somebody in this group. I'm not naming names, but they like to tell me to set with my feelings. I'm, I'm not naming names. I'm not putting, putting that on anybody. But when I say something, she's like, hey, you need to set with, set with your feelings on this. And honestly, it's been the best advice I've ever gotten. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's why we're all here. That's we're all, why we're all doing what we're doing, right? Is to help the girl behind us. I don't care if that was a day before where we are in our journey or five years, you know, whatever. Like I had to learn that and I wasn't setting with anything. I was reacting and avoiding and suppressing. And now that I can take this menu of available emotions and and go, okay, like you're here for a reason. These are a gift. These emotions that we get to, we get to feel them. That's a gift. That's a human gift. Our animals, I mean, they might get it, but we can think about our feelings and animals don't get to think about their thinking or think about their feelings. And that's, that's our evolution. And how do we then live into our maximum potential? If we're turning off for me, it was like 75% of the emotional human experience, right? I wanted to feel happy and I wanted to feel joyous and I still want these emotions like all the time, but I recognize like, well, without half, without, without sad, I don't get happy. And without, you know, without freedom, I, I'm sorry, (laughs) without, (laughs) and I was going to say, what do I get without freedom? (laughs) I want appreciation, but I appreciation for freedom. Yeah. I don't understand powerlessness and I, I can't name powerlessness. If I can't name free, like powerlessness for me was like being imprisoned in my own in insanity of addiction. Right now I know what freedom feels like mm. if I wouldn't have had powerless, would I really know what freedom feels like? I, I don't know. So I see it. I see all these emotions that I was avoiding now today as a gift of the human experience. Um, but I sure didn't used to. <laughs> I agree with that because, um, yeah, the gambling for me was just a, a, a way to shut off my feelings. And I think the hardest thing early on in the recovery is like you start feeling all those feelings, like it, they just rush back to you. And it's just like, whoa, like this is too much to handle. But I think as you, at least as I 
continued my recovery, I became like less sensitive to it in terms of like it, it being so jarring to like, oh my God, I, I can't, like, I, I can't stand this feeling. It was like, this is like human, this is normal. It's not gonna last forever. Cause I think in the, in the moment, in the, in the struggle, it feels like forever, you know? And it's like, it's not a, like these emotions are, they are constantly changing and just, you, you, you just have to like realize that like the negative feelings aren't forever and the positive feelings aren't forever either. It's just like, you just go with it because that's just how life is, you know? And I just feel like I'm thankful for all the feelings, even the shitty ones, because I know on the other side of that, I'll have joy and I'll have happiness. So good. I think the point about being thankful for the feelings is important because I was so numb for such a long time while I was gambling that even though I may not like how I'm feeling, I recognize the beauty and the fact that I'm actually feeling it because if I wasn't, if I was feeling it and I wasn't in addiction or if I wasn't in recovery, I'd be right back out there gambling again because I didn't want to deal with it. And I, my mom has to remind me sometimes these are good things this is a good thing that you're feeling this way, or it's okay to feel this way. Yeah, I've been dealing with some significant depression issues um, on and off a lot because of the medications that I'm on right now with the fertility treatments. And I've been beating myself up about feeling this way. And my mom's going, no, this is normal. You can feel this way. It's okay to feel this way. But because I have co-dependency issues on top of my gambling addiction i need this like dependency issues yes (laughs) i love this i feel so connected (laughs) to you guys this is amazing but you know i just i need to hear it from someone else that it's okay because i don't one of my major character defects and this has come up when i'm starting to do the step four work is my inability to trust myself and my own judgments I don't trust myself. I have such low self-confidence that I lean on other people to give me the answer. Yes, this is, you're doing a good thing or you're doing a bad thing. Like I'm hoping as I continue in my recovery that that gets better. And I think it's gotten a little bit better, but damn, do I have a long way to go. I think we all do. I think, I think that's something that's just going to be a constant thing to work on. Um, you know, I didn't even know anything about codependency. Um, until, until I started therapy and, and Tara's really big into the codependency too. And when I say, you know, sitting with your feelings, that's been one of my biggest coping tools is learning to sit with my feelings, learning to be bored, you know, cause I'm still fairly, fairly new in it. So my emotions are still like, they're, they're leveling out, but, um, you know, having to set through situations that normally would have made me leave the house, just having to sit there and kind of like learn like process those feelings you like yeah they're horrible and I don't want to feel them but the after the first you know handful of times that I've had to sit there and process my feelings um it you do kind of get a little more comfortable with it like you start and it kind of changes the way that you think about things you know like for me it was just like I can't handle this I can I don't yeah, the only way to the other side of an emotion is through it. And it looks like maybe we lost Christina for a second. So I'll just chime in and be overlapping what she was saying. Uh, were you done with what you're saying, Christina? I see you're back. I don't even know where I left off, but yes. 
I feel good with sitting with my feelings now. I think that was the point of it. That was your point. <laughs> that was your point. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, this, yeah, the emotional, emotional maturity is something that, you know, we, we don't get if we don't have our feelings, uh, or acknowledge them or sit with them or learn that. Tiffany, were you going to say something? Yeah. I mean, just feelings are, feelings are, are, are great. I mean, <laughs> I am not the type of person that likes to like share my feelings or I, I feel like I used to to be that way because I thought that like I couldn't relate to anybody anybody but you know like going to these different rooms and like experiencing what I'm experiencing especially with other women it's like I have a camaraderie that I feel like open to like to speak and tell my truth and it's okay like I don't need to feel guilty it is what it is you know and I feel comfortable in doing that so feelings are, are really important and um I don't know. Like I, 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 I liked what Christina said about being bored because it, it's like hard to, at least for me, it was hard to accept that I, I may never experience it, something as exciting as gambling was for me. Like, I just think to myself, is there anything that's going to ever excite me like, like gambling did? And there are, there are some things that come close, but I think it's just accepting that fact that I may never feel that type of, and it's not even really excitement in my opinion those feelings were of mania and obsession. That wasn't like passion. That wasn't love. That was, that's completely different. Like, I feel like I have passion for Zumba. I really do because I love Zumba and I have passion for chocolate and I have love, you know, but like the, the gambling was like an obsession and it wasn't healthy. It was just like this obsessive impulsive thing, not healthy at all. So I, I'm trying to delineate between like my like excitement and my love for gambling. It really wasn't love. It was just this unhealthy addiction. Uh, the boredom. Um, so in, in recovery rooms, if we think broad-based recovery, the, the phrase halt comes up a lot, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I've been observing some conversation. I'm also a total nerd. And um, so I'll, I'll let you guys in on a little thing that I'm thinking about for a new acronym. Maybe this is unique to gamblers, but maybe it applies to people broader but are you guys star trek fans by chance i'll be honest i've never seen it i I like star trek over star wars so next generation though so are you familiar with borgs (laughs) yeah so for danielle's benefit i'll read the the wiki entry they're an alien group that appear as a recurring antagonist in star trek they are cybernetic organisms linked in a hive mind called the collective They are trying to force assimilation by injecting blah, blah, blah into the body. Their ultimate goal is achieving perfection. So in my mind, we need to look at Borgs as an acronym that also we should be on the lookout for. And that's boredom, overwhelm, regret, guilt, and shame. Those and shame being that very last one, because shame is our sense of not belonging because we haven't assimilated and we're not like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And because we're striving to be this perfect version of whatever we think perfect is supposed to be, even though there's no such thing. So that's my new little, if we're going to halt, we also need to find out if we're, if we've been invaded by a Borg. Or by Borgs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm wondering though, is, is it going to be like, you know, late thirties and up that gets that? Well, no, because there is a new Star Trek. I saw that. I mean, Star Trek Picard they don't even have to get the Star Trek reference. They just have spell it out. Right. Like, those they're big invaders for me though. Boredom, overwhelm, I mean, 
the word Borg just sounds like like it just sounds like a a blob of like <laughs> an invasive species, right? It's like this sounds like this thing that just is like hanging out. <laughs> I don't know. Can you? Re- I'm writing this down of the acronym. Can you repeat okay, it? Okay. Yeah. Let's so that make. I can write let's it down? make this a thing. Yes. <laughs> Boredom, overwhelm, regret, yeah. guilt, and shame. Love it. Can I tell you when I entered recovery, I felt four out of those five things. I felt overwhelmed. I felt regret. I felt guilt, and I felt shame. And it led me into a very dark place in the beginning of my recovery. Me too. And Christina, you kind of alluded to that in the beginning. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that it's important to recognize that those are normal feelings to have. What we have to recognize is we may also experience those feelings later on in recovery because of whatever life is throwing at us. Because I always say, like, life doesn't stop just because we're not gambling anymore i actually think life can get a lot worse uh, as in the problems present itself instead of being just bombarded or thrown in the closet or thrown under a rug so these are just like your halt this is a a thing to be on the lookout for if i'm feeling any of these things what can i do to deal with it because if i don't deal with it i'm potentially going to relapse Right. Like I need self-care in this moment. Right. And hungry, angry, angry, lonely, tired. Those can be addressed kind of immediately, but Mm -hmm. overwhelm and regret and guilt and shame. Those are the kinds of emotions. Like how do I process this one? And and they're chronic. Like they just linger. Yeah. If we don't deal with them, they sure do. Yeah. And this is what I like to say when it comes to, when I talk to other women who are just starting recovery or scared to start recovery, if I say you've survived a hundred percent of what's been thrown at you up to this point, right? Survived a hundred percent of what life is thrown at you. And when they talk about recovery and I'm like, in recovery, you will survive a hundred percent of what that brings you and you're going to be better for it. So, you know, cause I, I think people sometimes get the misconception, you know, they get this perfect idea of recovery. Like, oh, I, today's the day I'm never gambling again. And then, you know, there are quite a few women who can say that and not, I know several who never went back, but they've got to be more realistic that relapses happen. It's just staying focused. It's staying, you know, getting right back on the horse, you know, because I started in January, I relapsed at the beginning of March and I've been bet free since, but I did things differently. I showed up differently. Um, and so sometimes it takes a few times to kind of get your footing and figure out what's going to work better for you. And so I think when, when women get this idea of recovery and then they don't meet it, they relapse, they get this sense of like, um, I can't do this or the sense of failure and yeah, and it, and it, and it tricks them, takes them right back. And so it's just like, my biggest thing is like, don't have a perfect idea of recovery, just focus on staining and working, working towards it. But that's the biggest thing I like to say when I talk to somebody because so I built it up and failed, but I just decided to come back stronger and do it differently. I think as a society, we need to normalize failure. Failure doesn't mean stop trying. Failure means try a different way. Try another way. Try again. I mean, we were learning how to walk and ride bicycles we, we didn't stop when we didn't get it right the first time. We kept going because we really wanted to walk or ride a bicycle. Recovery is the same way. 
yeah. it makes you evaluate okay it's like I, okay what went wrong or what did and it's a good thing failure is good because it like it forces you to do something differently that you normally wouldn't do like I think our default behavior is things that we've always done to our own detriment a lot of times so it's like trying to break through like that resistance of change yeah. is good well we talked about halt and tired and I know it's late where you guys are and so we probably oh, yeah. should <laughs> we probably should wrap it up so you can have some self-care uh incorporated and I know Danielle's on the end of a, a long work day and sounds like a long work week ahead <laughs> I literally I have a bathtub like of water waiting for me oh, like, I, smell oh, good. like a great yeah idea. <laughs> I told well, I had mentioned this um on the last podcast maybe the podcast before but I, I do a bath every night. I'm serious. I put Epsom salt in there, um, like shower gel, whatever, like rose, lavender, yeah. whatever. It's amazing. And then I put on 80s music because I'm an 80s baby. So like new new wave, like 80s music, you know, and I have candles and I have the, the bubble bath. And sometimes I read a book when other, most of the time I'm just like zoning out and just jamming to like the 80s music because it's just amazing. So that's yeah, my that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Try yeah. So as we wrap up, I'm curious. So I just want to, I think for the benefit of the listeners who maybe haven't met everybody here, right? Because we're going to co-broadcast this on each of our respective shows. Let's just take a second to talk about kind of what is your podcast um, in terms of who are you trying to reach and then the name of it, of course. So Danielle and Tiffany, do you guys want to talk about kind of what you're doing with gambling got the girls and uh and and what you want listeners to get out of it uh tiff you can uh, (laughs) you're very good at explaining it no i mean my vision was is 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 for (laughs) it was changed it's changed since it's it's coming to like our own because like it started off on um on, on the all in podcast so we didn't have as much um control in terms of um just like, I mean, we had control of the content and whatnot, but like the editing and then posting it and like all that responsibility of like putting it together is all on us now. So it's like, it's, it's empowering. I think it's great. Um, what I, what I see happening is just, just awareness, just bringing like the, the whole um, gambling addiction to like the forefront, because I feel like it is an addiction that's so, um, it's not taken seriously, in my opinion, just because it, there's no there's no physical substance with it. It's a mental illness, and also too, gambling is so acceptable. It's like encouraged now. It's like everywhere. So like, people, I think it's harder for people now to like like, you know, seek help because it is so acceptable. And I feel like people don't believe them or they don't, they don't take, they don't believe the seriousness of like, you know, the addiction. They just say, Oh, just stop. Like that's going to do something. So I just feel like the gambling got the girls is a different perspective because we're talking about our gambling experience from a young woman's perspective. Now I'm African-American, um, you know, um, Danielle's Caucasian. So it's just like a really interesting, like, demographically like who we can reach so it's just that's what I I see gambling up the girls and of course we're not limiting ourselves to just having like females come onto the the podcast I want men on there too I just I just feel like women for so long need to we didn't have a voice or it's hard to explain I just feel like with societal changes 
women are out there and they are gambling. So I feel like we have a voice um, that needs to be heard. Awesome. Excellent. I agree. I totally Excellent. agree. Yeah. And, and there's so many, I was talking to a friend before we got on this call today and I was like, I'm so excited. It's like all women who podcast who are compulsive gamblers. And it's so exciting just to be, you know, here with, with you guys tonight, guys, you ladies, yeah, ladies. gals, yeah. y'all <laughs> this evening, um, because representation does matter. And it's not about if the other podcasts are better, it's, it's more voices and, and having more and more and more voices in the community of podcasts talking about gambling. And, uh, I'm so happy to, to see more women coming on and talking about gambling, gam- the struggle with gambling and gambling recovery and, and, and normalizing discussion about gambling addiction. And I'm glad to be in your company and excited for more of your podcast episodes. Christina, what about you? Uh, for me, the broke girl society, um, it's, it's really just about, I've, I've got a real passion with reaching with are kind of on the cusp of recovery because I, I stayed there for so long. Um, so it's really kind of important to me to kind of like share women who are in recovery and just, just women's stories in general. Um, I just feel like the more we talk about it, the more stories we get out there, the more comfortable women who are hiding this secret and, and living these dual lives and scared, scared to start recovery because they don't know what, what to expect. I just, I think the more that all of us talk about it, the more that we all share our stories and the stories of other women who were men, but for me, women who have, um, who have started recovery and who are active in recovery. Um, but even, even the women who are still gambling, but they want, they, they know that it's becoming a problem and they know that it's, it's just only, you know, this is something they need to address. So it's more of just like, just getting it in their heads to kind of, you know, start thinking about it. Um, because we're not going to be ready to start recovery until we start recovery. So until we're at that point, but if, but if I had heard stories, I think of women struggling and I, I just honestly didn't. And I think because it's so new in Oklahoma, comparatively to like New Jersey or, or places like that. I mean, I think it was early two thousands that casinos started here. So, um, and there's about one on every corner now. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's just not talked about. It's still really secretive here. I think if I'd heard stories of, of women's struggles with compulsive gambling, it may have changed things for others. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely glad that, that we did this and, um, that there's more of us just talking about it. And, and getting it out there and destigmatizing compulsive gambling in women. Yeah, me too. Love that. I'm so glad you brought us together for this conversation. Yes, uh, thank Christina, you. Thank, thank you. you. And I'll I'll close it out then with um, the Ambitious Addicts podcast as a broad based um, talking about primarily uh, women in recovery, but I talk about addiction recovery, embracing our ambition and going after our dreams. So I do have um, some stories of recovery and I do a little bit of talking about my personal story as well as um, some coaching around goal setting and how to live into the future version of ourselves that we want to be in the world. Great. Wow. Awesome. Well, thank you all for being here. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Yes. All right, everybody have a great night. Have a good night. Night.